0: Well, happy Feast of the Holy Family. And before I give this homily, I just want to give a little disclaimer at the beginning of the homily. Nothing I am about to say is intended in any way to be accusatory or condemning. And everybody's like, what's he going to talk about? Right <laughs> what I mean is, is, that today is about the Holy Family And so I'm going to speak about what it means to be a holy family. And if this was the feast of the holy priesthood, and there was a bunch of priests out there, and I was out there, and some guy got up here and told me about how to be a holy priest, undoubtedly, at the end of that talk, I would feel like a loser. Because I am abundantly aware that I don't live my priesthood as well as I could. I'm profoundly aware of my brokenness, my own sin, and my need for redemption. I say that because in all that I'm going to say today, please be on guard against the evil one who loves to show up in church and try to take what I'm saying as a means to point a finger and accuse you and derate you and discourage you. Please hear nothing of what I'm about to say in that way. Fight it. The task of living a good, holy family life and raising children in today's society is no small task. Everything is against you. Everything. Like I was just, somebody just, uh, one of the high school kids sent me this. Uh, there's a new trend developing and it's called the dinks. Have you heard of dinks? Even I don't even know what they, they It means dual income, no kids. And there's all these videos of like, We're dinks. We get to do whatever we want. We're dinks. We sleep through the night, unlike you parents. We're dinks. We get to vacation all over the world while you're stuck at home with kids. You know, like, I'm watching this and I'm like, you guys are losers. You are so self-focused. You'll never understand what love is, ever. Because love is sacrifice. But everything is against us right now. Not only as a church, but as a Christian family. I was reminded of the words of St. Lucia of Fatima. She wrote a lot, but one of the lines I'll never forget she said, The final battle between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of Satan will be fought over marriage and the family. And if you can't feel that we are deep into that battle right now, you're not alive. And not only is there this battle raging against what, it, what traditional Christian marriage means between one man and one woman, it's also raging against your children, right? Telling them that faith is a waste of time. Faith is for the unenlightened, even the stupid, who need a crutch in this life. For the secular modern person, faith is an opinion. It's an opinion, like any other opinion. If that's the case then we'll just let our children choose what they want to be when they grow up. And to be fair, if faith is just an opinion, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. And if it, it doesn't, even if you're like, oh, we let them choose. If it's an opinion, it doesn't matter. There's no meaning to it. But if faith is a matter of truth, if faith is a matter of God, who cares for you, who loves you, who went to the cross for you, who became flesh for you, who does stuff in your life, then to not instill that in your children's heart is the height of foolishness. Because here's the deal, folks. I don't know if you know this, but human beings are prone to selfishness. We tend to self-gratify. We love ourselves. And if you don't have the faith, which instills discipline, you will move towards selfishness. It's just a given of human nature. Now, for those of you that are married here or plan to be married, when you were married, there were a couple questions that you answered, statements that you had to answer yes in the affirmative or your marriage was not valid. You had to answer in the affirmative and you had to answer with integrity. And I always say to people at the rehearsal before the wedding, I always say to the bride and groom, I say, these are the three last questions you are ever going to answer for yourself. So enjoy it. And I remember one time I had this, this guy had been married two weeks and he was the best man in the wedding. And the groom is up there. And I said, this is the last chance for you to answer on your own. So enjoy it. And he (laughs) leans over and he's like, dude, he's right. And so what are those questions are this. Have you come here to enter into marriage without coercion, freely and wholeheartedly? I have. Are you prepared as you follow the path of marriage to love and honor each other for as long as you both shall live? I am. Are you prepared to accept children lovingly from God and to bring them up? According to the law of Christ and his church, I am. Here's the problem. Most couples are so excited that they're actually getting married. They don't even hear those questions. And they walk out of those doors, happily married, never to return. Until baptism, maybe. But here's the best part. It's almost like the church knew this. Because in baptism, there's more questions and they actually get more intense. Number 1. You are accept- you have asked to have your child baptized and in doing so, you are accepting the responsibility of training them in the practice of the faith. It will be your duty to bring them up to keep God's commandments as Christ taught us by loving God and our neighbor. Do you clearly understand this responsibility? I do. No, you don't. Most parents have no clue. It is an incredible question with immense implications. What that means is, is I'm not gonna hand off the education of the faith to other people, to faith formation, to schools, that I am the primary educator in my child's practice of the faith. I do it. And then it, this is great, because it gets even better. If that wasn't enough. This is great, because we got a baptism this morning, and they're sitting right here. This is my baptismal homily for you. So it says this. Parents, ooh, 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 and godparents, and I see you. Listen, quit talking. Parents and godparents, have you, you have come to present this child for baptism on your part. You must make it your constant care to bring them up in the practice of the faith, to see that the divine life which God gives them is kept safe from the poison of sin to grow ever stronger in their heart. If your faith makes you ready to accept this, then we move on. To train your children in the practice of the faith does not mean to make sure they're nice, good little boys and girls. I am so... I've said this a hundred times, and you're going to hear it until I leave this parish. I am so sick of people who say, but Father, I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're really not. Like, none of us are really that good. If we're honest, you think about this. In all of your day... How many choices are made for you? The good majority. So you're already not thinking about other people. That's what we call the sin of pride. Okay, Check one. Now I'm not going to go through all of them. Just check one. That's enough. Okay. So I was watching this uh, uh, Angel Studios. You know, they put out The Chosen. Uh, they have this new documentary. It's called Life After Death. Fascinating. It's all about near-death experiences. If you get a chance to watch it, it's a great watch. But I didn't know this. Did you know this? Because every time we hear about near-death experiences, we hear about like somebody like, you know, I was outside of my body and then I floated up to the roof and saw my grandfather in this big light and Jesus gave me a big hug. And then we walked through these gates and it was heavenly. Great. Did you know that 23% of all near-death experiences are about hell? That's a quarter. And the guy on there tells his story. He was hit by a semi head on. To give you an idea, the steering wheel turned sideways and embedded in his chest. He was dead on impact. The ambulance didn't show up for a half an hour. When they finally got there, uh, ha- a half hour of being dead, on his way to the hospital, they somehow revived the man. Only to get him to the hospital, get him into his room, thought he was stabilized, and he flatlined again. He said when he flatlined the second time, he said all of a sudden I was outside of my body. And I could, he's like everything, every sense that you had was heightened like you cannot imagine. He's like light, you could taste light, you could feel it. And sounds, he's like, sounds penetrated your whole body. They had smell and taste. And he said it was just incredible. And then he said, I turned around and there was my wife weeping over my dead, he said, over this hunk of meat. And I was screaming at her. and She couldn't hear me. And she's like, "He's like, I'm not dead. I'm okay. And he was so frustrated that he ran out into the hallway to try to get people's like, like, help me. And he went, runs out of the hall and he looks. And he says, there's a group of people standing here that are just black silhouettes. And he's like, you need to help me. And they're like, you need to come with us. So he did. And he said, as he's walking, he still thinks he's in the hospital. And it's getting darker and darker and darker. And all of a sudden, he starts to get afraid. So he tries to run. And these things grab him throw him in front of them, start beating him, pushing him, mocking him, blaspheming. It's, he's like, I was terrified. And they kept walking until it got pitch black. And then he said, I fell. And I just started falling. And the light that I could see was getting dimmer and dimmer and smaller and smaller. And this is why I tell you this story. He said, as I was falling, I just kept saying, but God, I was a good person. And he said, every time he said that, he fell faster. And he said, at a point of almost despair, I just remembered this song my grandma taught me when I was six years old about Jesus loves me. And I started singing that song with everything I had. And he said, all of a sudden, I felt something grab me, pull me close to its chest, and we started going up. And then he said, we entered into this place of light, He's like, I don't know what it was, but Jesus was there. He's like, probably my judgment. And he said, The Lord just laid out to me my whole life. And I found out that I'm not a good man. I treat my wife like garbage. I argue all the time. I was not honest at work. I was not patient with my children. I lied. I have an estranged relationship with my brothers and sisters. I hate my dad. And he said, to see the sorrow on the face of God brought me pain that I cannot describe. Woke up. Back in his body. So why do I tell you that? Because don't trick yourself into this like, Oh, I'm a good person. I believe you're trying to be a good person. So am I. But we're nowhere near that. And we constantly got to work on it. Discipline ourselves. And so, okay, here's the deal. How do you practice the faith? First, you model it. You model it. You don't make any excuses why you're missing Mass. If I hear one more time, a kid in faith formation, they say, oh, I was like, where's your Mass notes? Well, I was in Fargo for hockey. I'm like, oh, I forgot. There's no Catholic churches in Fargo. Weird. You know, in fact, I think there's more Catholic churches in Fargo than there is in Bismarck Mandan. And they're like, what? Father, I had to go hunting. I'm going to miss sunrise. That's the prime time for deer. I'm a deer hunter. I know that. Does it have to be Sunday? Could you give up one day for God I was fishing and we have all of these excuses I had one uh, when I was a pastor at Christ the King in Mandan uh, this little boy <clears throat> this is my first assignment and he was up front and this dude he was just jacked about mass he loved mass you know he's hitting his chest he doesn't know what he's saying He's sign of the cross is all backwards and he's trying to sing the Gloria and it's not even close but he's just oh. And then June came, and they were gone. And July, gone. August, gone. And I'm like, oh, they must have moved away or switched parishes. I don't know. Well, September hits, and they're back. And I'm at the back of the church after Mass, and he comes running out, because he always came running out to give me a hug. And I'm like, buddy, where were you? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, all summer. I didn't see you one time at Mass. And he's like, what? Dad said there is no mass in the summer. (laughs) And I look up and I'm like, really, Dad? And just head down. To miss mass intentionally. And to do it when you're with your kid, when your kids see that, they see it does. It's not a there's no point. It's a joke to you, it's gonna be a joke to them. And to miss it intentionally, for whatever reason, is what we call deadly sin. I remember Father Austin Vetter, now Bishop Vetter, when he was at St. Pat's in Bismarck, or Dickinson. This guy came up to me, he's preaching about, you know, the mortal sin of missing Sunday Mass intentionally. And the guy came out, he's like, let me ask you something. He's like, if I miss, you're trying to tell me if I miss Mass, one morning I get up and I'm like, I ah, ain't going. I'm going to go do something else. But that's enough to send me to hell. And Father Vetter said, well, let me ask you a question. If... If your wife cheated on you just one time. Just once. It was just one night. No big deal. She just made that decision to, to not be faithful to you one time. Would that damage your relationship? Guy's head just goes down. See, that's what guys do when they don't want to answer questions. They put their heads down and they walk away. It's serious. And so how can you do these things and be intentional about it? I'm going to give you three quick ways. Number one. You can pray always and anywhere. That is true and you should. But what is in that box and what is on this altar gives us grace to live the way that God asked us to live. And we can't do it without it. He makes that abundantly clear in Scripture. You must eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood or you have no life within you. I think the Lord is sitting up here and He's saying, try me. Test me. Give me a shot. One year. No excuses. Mass every day. Or every day. (laughs) That's even better. Every day. Every Sunday. And see if your life isn't better at the end of it. See if your problems don't make more sense. Maybe they're not gone. See if there's not just a little bit more joy in your heart. And some of you are like, well, I go to Mass every Sunday. Nothing's happening to me. We had this spiritual director when I was at the NAC, and she was super holy woman. I was like, "You got to tell." I was like, "Tell me what happens when you pray." She's like, "I have no idea." You know, I was expecting this deep answer, and she's like, "I have no idea." She said, "But I will tell you this: I know what happens when I don't pray. My whole life will fall apart." So, number one, go to mass, live the faith. Second, try to do everything you can on Sunday as a family, to discuss the scriptures and the homily that you heard at Mass. Even if it's just on a car ride home, just say, kids, what'd you get out of Mass today? And make them answer. And they're like, I didn't get anything. Pull over the car and beat them and get back in and say, now tell me what you got out of Mass. i just get it. make them answer. And maybe you lead. Maybe you sit back and say like, here's what dad got out of mass. I'm going to tell you. Mom says, here's what I got out of mass. Why do you want to do this? Because it shows that God speaks through his word to you. And you're modeling it for them. And kids are mimics. Third, try with all of your might. Now this is going to be hard for us Catholics because we love formal prayers. But try with all of your might to lead your family in prayer. Before meals, in the evening, and do it informally. What do I mean by that? Bless us, O Lord, is great. I love bless us, O Lord. It's the great, one of the greatest prayers ever given to us. But when you're as a family, lead prayer by just speaking to Jesus. And telling him what you're grateful for. And why you love your family, and why you love your wife, and why you love your husband. Why? Because what this does for kids is it shows them that you know him. You speak to him like a friend. One of our priests, my priest brothers, he said the, the most powerful memory he has of his father is every night before he would go to bed, his dad, dad would put the kids down every once in a while, he'd have to get up and he'd go, you know, whatever. He said, I would always see my dad kneeling at his bedside. He said, that meant more to me. I will never forget that memory. Why? Because dad knows Jesus. Let me leave you with this. If I was an extraordinarily gifted football coach, and you had a son that was an extraordinarily gifted football player, and I offered you for free to train him privately on a schedule that I came up with, I guarantee you, you would have your kid on time for every practice. You wouldn't miss one. And you make sure that he did what I told him to do. Now, here's the deal. Jesus is standing in front of us right now. He is far more victorious than any coach. And his promises are far far more certain than any mere man. And I think he's saying to us simply this on this Feast of the Holy Family. Bring your family to me. Bring them to me. So that I can teach them life in this world of darkness. If you accept that invitation, you do these things that I'm telling you, you'll be on your way to truly being a holy family.